For this week's subject, dealing with the inner critic, I've been using uh, the Freudian schema to introduce the subject. Not to say I'm particularly a Freudian, but I find just the basic generic schema that Freud offered for the human psyche is useful to discuss this topic, so bear with me. I think it'll be clear why I'm going to be introducing this. So just to review, for those of you who are unfamiliar, at first Freud suggested that there was two main components of the human psyche. The first component or unconscious realm that we're not aware of is what he called the id, and it's a reservoir of all these impulses we have, and they're not particularly concerned with the constraints of the world around us, good taste, proper judgment. They're simply impulses to express sexual impulses and seeking sensual pleasures. And they're also aggressive impulses. And we're pretty much born, Freud speculated, with these impulses of sensuality and aggression. And these are not very smart impulses. They're largely in a part of the psyche, the unconscious realm, where we have very little control over them in, in terms of when they begin to arise. The ego, the second part of the psyche, is the realm of consciousness that allows us to guide how we seek pleasure in the world and constrain how we act out on aggression. The realm of the ego is to really postpone or compromise or uh, limit the flow of our impulses so that we don't get ourselves in a lot of trouble. If we act out on every single aggressive impulses, we'd be kind of fucked. Most of us would be in jail. <laughs> and um, so the ego is, according to Freud, a reality principle. When we overly repress the id, we become neurotic because we do need to let out our, uh, the times we have uh, the kind of physical energies, the impulses, we do need to find a channel for those. So if we over-suppress and repress these gut impulses, we wind up in trouble. On the other hand, if we don't repress them at all, then we wind up in trouble too. So there's a balancing act. Now, for a while, that's all Freud saw, but then, about 20 years after he proposed that, he added in a third, which was the superego. Superego is what we're going to be focusing on today. The superego is the realm of all those social prohibitions, laws, rules, regulations, and aspirations that transcend the simple curbing of our impulses. Were it not for having a superego, all of us would simply be satisfied by trying to get our rocks off in the most socially acceptable way. 
But because we have a superego instilled, we refine our aspirations. We, the superego creates what Freud says an ideal version of ourselves, something to aspire to. It creates this, this imaginary construct of things we could achieve that transcend the simple placation of our sexual and aggressive impulses. They set the aims higher. They're also filled with a great deal of rules and regulations and things that we're told by our family are important. Sometimes these rules are important and worthy. You might be told by your family that you should take care of your relative or try to be helpful to your relatives when they grow old and sick or or take care of responsibilities. Now, were it not for their superego, we wouldn't give a fuck. There wouldn't be that impulse implanted in us to do anything beyond what allows us to meet our impulse, impulses. And uh, But we do. We do implant this inner critic that goads us to achieve more. And so there is a purpose for it. It's not there by accident. Unfortunately, and there's a big but to this one, because the superego is, or the inner critic, the inner aspirational thoughts, goals, uh, aims that we instill from our parents and from the institutions, the schools, the people that surround us, they're generally introduced to us in a pretty negative way. When we make mistakes, our parents generally don't say, hey, you know, don't steal your sister's shit <laughs> in a nice way because you want to be happy, you want to live together. Very often the rules are barked at us. What's the matter with you? How could you do that? We're disappointed. When Lev Vygotsky, the great developmental psychiatrist, so important in 20th century psychology theory, he noted how the, our inner chatter is largely, the, we develop our inner thoughts based on the negative prohibitions that people uh, talk to us, guide us, instill in us. That's how we start our inner thought. It's largely a realm of uh, self-regulating through inner negative statements. Don't do this. Don't do that. What's the matter with you? When you even a child of three would follow around, those would be the formations of thought. In institutions, we're not guided by teachers often saying, hey, I mean, many teachers are very skillful, but many teachers will uh, put forth the rules by saying, why are you falling behind? What's the matter with you? Why aren't you keeping up? Everybody else is doing this. You're doing that. So there's a regulating quality that we learn to constantly negatively compare ourselves to others, to internally shame ourselves, 
to goad ourselves, to motivate ourselves to achieve more. We begin to internalize these messages with things like, you should, I should, I should be better, I should be doing this, creating this generally unattainable version of ourselves that's perfect, that we're falling short from. Another strategy we do is we compare ourselves to these other people. Other people don't have problems waking up in the morning. I don't know what's the matter with me. Other people aren't depressed like me. Other people aren't confused like I am. Other people know what they want. Something's wrong with me. Why am I struggling? All of these types of thoughts create, posit this idea that there is some mystical land of Nazis. I don't know there. There, <laughs> perfect genetically constructed beings that have no fears, no failures, no shortcomings. But we create this idea that there, there is something that we're falling short of, and we become so addicted to this kind of motivation. Motivating ourselves by shaming. Another technique we do is motivating ourselves through sheer fear. Projection of how bad shit will be if we don't do this. Oh shit! If I, if I, don't, if I don't pay that bill, I'm fucked! Oh my god, if I don't do this, I'm fucked. It's all falling apart on me. I'm screwed. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, what happens is these kind of voices of shoulds, of comparing ourselves with imaginary others that are perfect, and of projecting the worst possible outcome as a motivating factor. All these kinds of motivational things do a couple of things. One, they instill the belief that there's something wrong with us. Because we're constantly telling ourselves that. We begin to believe that there's something missing, something fundamentally, uh, fundamentally not that we need to achieve, build, do, uh, attain, get. Because that's how we've been motivating ourselves. We've come to believe the hype. And then we come into Dharma punks, and we're like, oh, that weird-looking Dharma teacher with all the tattoos, maybe he'll tell me what it is. <laughs> so, and the truth is, I'm a little bit like Oz, which is I have, I have there's nothing that you're missing. <laughs> I mean, I could give you red shoes that you could tap together, but uh, uh, never mind. Anyway, uh, you get the idea. You're not. There's nothing that you need to get attain. There's no secret bit of wisdom. There's no thing that you're missing. But all these motivational tools that the inner critic has been using for years to get you to write those papers and get out of bed in the morning and go, you know, and pick up new skills or, or just try to get by in a challenging, difficult world because we've been using the wrong motivational voices. We've been, motiva we've been motivating ourselves through terror, 
So this is the result. And there's a secondary, a secondary thing that happens when we motivate ourselves through shaming and fear and projecting of angelic other beings that have it all perfectly. And that is we create a backlash. We, we associate so much negative shit with the things we should be doing, or I shouldn't say should, because that's another part of the, you see how it slips in there? <laughs> the, the things that would be good for us, like for instance, exercise. If you're like me, the inner critic is never satisfied. Just never, just never. <laughs> it sets an, a, a bar that no matter what you do, when you weren't looking at the inner critic moved it. <laughs> and you're like, see, just like I said I would, I meditated half an hour today and I did a half an hour of yoga. And the inner critic's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> And there's so much stress associated with this critic that we begin to not even want to try. This is, the, this is what goes to the heart of procrastination very much the way we motivate ourselves to do things creates so much stress around those things that we need to motivate ourselves to do that we don't want to fucking do them. For instance, writing a paper. If we wrote a paper saying, no matter what I write today, it's enough, it's good, it's wonderful, I'll, be, I'll treat myself well, I'll go sit out by the water, I'll, do, I'll relax, I deserve to feel good about myself, then everybody would have no problems ever writing a paper. But how do we motivate ourselves to write something that we need to write or do something that we want to do? No, we say, what the fuck is the matter with me? I've had a week to do this. I haven't done shit. Time is running out. I'm going to fail this course. I'm fucked. <laughs> and then when we look at the, the, even the thing we have to do. We just look at the bill that we haven't opened. We look at the, the textbook we haven't cracked for the course. We look at the phone where we're supposed to call somebody which we've been delaying. We look at the thing and all the physical stress that's been planted, not even by the chore itself, just by the way we motivate ourselves, the inner critic, that arises. All the tension, all the negative associations are like, fuck bang. I'm just going to go back to eBay. <laughs> That's a lot more fun. And, you know, you don't even get to, once you even add in the stress of actually, for me, every year it's the same. One place I have procrastination is with my taxes. And I have no excuse. I, even, I, I don't make hardly anything, and I still have a guy who does them for me. All I have to do is basically find five receipts and just throw it down. But, but for me, it's still like I look at it, and, and the voice is there. I'm sure that you're going to owe money. You're not going to be able to pay And there's so much stress. It's just like, oh. And I have to, like, reward myself. Like, if I even do 10 minutes of this, then I'm going to go to my favorite website, and I'm going to dawdle for a half an hour, and then I'm going to watch a little soccer, and then I'm going to, then I'll go and talk to people that I have to talk to. But, you know, I have to reward myself, even using, like, kind of real bribes to get myself to do this stuff. Fortunately, it's not always that bad. It's just, for me, taxes and dentistry. Uh, 
That's why I have like all the metallic teeth now. Uh, so, um, where <laughs> the fuck am I talking about? Okay. So, uh, so our our inner critic assigns so associates so much stress, even when they're worthwhile things that would be good for us, that we avoid the worthwhile things because we've just we just get, and then here's another part of it even more sometimes the stuff that the inner critic the superego uh, tells us to do is bullshit one of the things in our culture that's completely unnecessary uh, but it's very much a capitalist meme is that everybody should be completely financially self-sufficient and shouldn't need help ever. You should pull yourself up by your bo your bootstraps. What's the matter with you if you're struggling or in debt? You're you're a, a layabout. <laughs> <laughs> this meme that has weeded into all of us that there's something shameful about struggling. In fact, human beings are pack animals. We are meant to connect, meant to seek out each other when we're struggling, meant to stay in packs. If you look at our closest relatives in the, in, in the primate kingdom, they are pack animals. They gather together when one of them is, you know, needs support. They seek out connection. We are meant to seek out connection. We however, have been instilled with cultural memes that tell us it's a weakness, that there's something wrong, we're not planning it right, we're not, we're not living up to the scheme. And so our inner critic can beat ourselves up for completely human needs. And then we can also internalize all the other shit that comes along with... Uh, in, embedded in our social order that sometimes aren't too good. The sexism, racist tendencies, all these views about that lock us into gender identities and into kinds of beliefs about how we should behave and what does it mean to be a woman and what does it mean to be a man. I've seen guys beat themselves up internally because they're not they don't feel they're macho enough or masculine enough. So it gets to be at times difficult to weed out the worthy aspirations. Aspirations like taking care of ourselves, seeking peace for ourselves, seeking deep, meaningful spiritual connections with other beings, practicing genuine acceptance of ourselves, offering what wisdom we have as a tool to others when they ask for it, or being just available to hear other people's suffering. All the stuff that we can do that's worthy, those worthy goals can get mixed in amongst a lot of troubling, kind of worthless social aspirations that really are not about your happiness, but are about the happiness of the Koch brothers, or Koch brothers, what are they? Koch brothers. <laughs> the key is, what do we do? 
how do we address this need to motivate ourselves to make our lives purposeful, attain things, but without one constructing ideals that can never be attained that we're going to use to beat up ourselves with. How can we construct something that uh, inner cheerleader that will help us through, uh, that will help us find the effort and the focus and the, the wherewithal to learn new skills which are difficult that will make us feel greater sense of self-esteem. I like to think of this inner motivator as somewhat like the North Star, which you might know is for thousands of years the, the tool that guided people to where North was. So you go towards the star, but you're never actually supposed to reach the fucking star. It's not on Earth. It's just a guy. But when we set aspirations, we act like if we don't attain them, reach them, we, we've failed. And that's not the way it works. Aspirations are not meant to be pass-fail Verdicts. They're meant to be directions. It's the same thing with the precepts in Buddhist practice. People hear precepts, they hear like, don't cause harm. And they go, oh, I might have caused harm. I might have said something mean the other day. Mm-hmm. It's not about perfection or, or reaching a state of perfection. It's about having a direction in life that we move towards. That's what the inner critic should be there for. I don't even like inner critic. It should be the inner life coach, but that's kind of icky too. <laughs> Wait, your, inner, your inner motivator. So the Buddha, he found it by, first he lived his life in self-indulgence, allowing every whim to be fulfilled. He was surrounded by endless sensual pleasures and eventually he found that that was not where happiness could be found. And so he went off into the jungle and went through six years of intense deprivation, eating, the story goes, eating a couple of grains of rice a day, starving himself, and guess what? That wasn't the answer either. That's a little bit like his superego saying, one grain of rice in the jungle is what you need to do. He's like, oh, yeah, that's what you need to do. That seems a bit extreme. You sure? Nope. So, so the Buddha went out there and he... He struggled, and that didn't work. And then he found something called the middle path, which is that we have to create a meaningful, humane path that balances or threads, one, our need for comfort, which we do have. He called those the requisites. We do need to have shelter, clothing, food, medicine, we do need to have access to wise spiritual people, so we need those. 
And at the same time, we also do need to have aspirations. But if we use those aspirations as a club to beat ourselves up with, we all we'll do is associate our aspirations with suffering and we'll give up. So how do we change this inner critical voice to something that's motivating us? Well, the first tool that the Buddha used is one of my favorite. He had a tool called, I see you, Mara. Mara was his word for all of those inner voices that said he wasn't good enough, that he had to change. He had to become entirely different. Mara would say to the Buddha things like, oh, this is too hard. What the fuck are you doing? Give up. And so the Buddha would simply not argue with Mara. He would say, I see you, Mara. I see you there. Most of the time, when our inner critics arise, one mistake we do is we argue with it or try to justify ourselves. Or we agree with it. And the solution isn't an either, because if you agree with that inner critic saying that you're not attaining enough, there's something wrong with you, your efforts aren't good enough, then it just becomes a self-lacerating tool. On the other hand, if you argue with it, it doesn't go away. But simply noting it, and then seeing if we could find beneath it is what's the goal that this voice wants? What's its aim? This is a Buddha called Yonisamana Sikara, just understanding what's the underlying aim. So sometimes the inner voice will, when you really investigate it, it just is criticizing myself for not taking enough steps in my life to, I don't know, it could be anything, financial security, uh, doing things to connect with other people, whatever. If it's worthy, just find that worthiness in it. But sometimes it'll just be when we really investigate what this voice is goading us towards, we can see that it's we, when we really ask what its aims are and investigate what's beneath it, we see that the aims are not really worthwhile. And then it becomes very easy to begin to ignore the voice once we realize, wow, this voice doesn't really have my best interest at heart. For instance, if you have a, an inner critic that tells you that you're not accomplishing enough, is that really a worthy goal to just do a lot of stuff? Is that what you want on your tombstone? Here lies Josh. He did a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> he was frantic. <laughs> a lot of these when we really pick it apart like okay what are you really trying to tell me what are you really trying to you're saying that I'm failing but what am I failing at and then the voice will go you're failing at other people are more famous than you <laughs> <laughs> Is that really what I want? Do I really, is that really going to bring me happiness? But they're doing better than you. <laughs> they're doing better. What does that mean? They have more money. They have more fame. Oh, really? Okay. Again, I'm not really seeing that this is going to make me lastingly happy. <laughs> <laughs> And it goes away for a while. <laughs> so rather than 
arguing and justifying ourselves when we're not meeting up to aims that aren't really worthy to begin with, just investigating what is this voice carrying, what's the agenda? And if the agenda is worthwhile, wants me to take care of myself, exercise, go to the doctor, whatever, then I can move on to a technique of motivating myself that's gentle. Like, I deserve to be happy. If I go to the doctor, that's great. If I don't, it doesn't mean I'm a bad person. If I exercise, that means I'm taking care of myself. If I don't, it doesn't mean I'm a bad person. There's nothing wrong with me. When we start with that as the assumption for our inner motivator, and we simply say, you deserve to be happy, you might want to try this out, but if you don't, you're okay. Guess what? A lot of people think, well, if I do that, I'll never do anything. You'll find, over time, that that technique actually is far more effective as a motivating tool. Because when you associate a worthy goal with a gentle, kinder voice motivating you, when you think about doing it, you don't have that, you know, oh, yeah, that's right. I said if I did a little bit of that, then I could go on... I could go outside and take a nice long lunch, or I, I said to myself, I could, uh, you know, uh, what do I do? I, oh, I uh, sometimes when I want to splurge, I'll like go and I'll save up my money and I'll get a massage. And I use the massage as a way to, in Chinatown, to reward myself for doing something that, you know, is difficult. Or maybe I'll go and I'll eat my favorite, there's a, a nice vegan place out where I live that I go and splurge. There's even a vegan sushi place now. <laughs> now obviously if you're if you use food to binge and a way to stop your feelings don't motivate yourself with food you have to be you have to be we have to be a little bit honest with this we don't want to we don't want to reward ourselves in fact it's best to learn how to reward ourselves without bribing but sometimes a little bribing helps too I won't lie to you but I, a good mixture is self-soothing strategies. If I do this, I'll get to take a nice ride by the water. I'll sit. I'll meditate in the sun. I'll, you know, I'll take time off. I'll relax. Then I'll get back to work. Or something else that just reminds us that we can reward ourselves rather than punish ourselves into taking skillful actions. Another way we can develop this rewarding voice is by listening to people that are really, really kind. Tara Brock, great Buddhist teacher, go on her site, listen to one of her talks. It's like butter. She talks like butter. Me, I'm a neurotic Upper West Side Jew Buddhist, you know? <laughs> you're hearing somebody talking like this, and you're then you got to do the meaning. You're like, yeah. But with, with Tara, she's like, her voice is like butter. I like listen to it, and it's like... I want Tara in my brain. <laughs> Everything she she could tell me something totally terrible to do, but in her soothing velvet tones I would do it anyway. <laughs> Take off your clothes and jump out the window. <laughs> And I would do it. <laughs> because she's not she's not beating up on me. She's 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 talking to me with kindness. 
Um, so finally, the last point, besides seeing Mara asking what's the real goal to replacing the, the self-motivating approach from you're missing, you're not keeping up, there's something wrong, you should, with you deserve to be happy, I care about you, this is, doing this is what you deserve, it'll make you happy, without any message of you're, you're, you're wrong, or something missing. And the third is um, to choose the people we hang out with in the world very carefully. Buddha said uh, over and over again to his teachings to the lay practitioners that so much of the spiritual path is actually found in being wise with who you listen to and who you hang out with and who you turn to. There's two types of people that are not too helpful, even though they might be friends and you might have had them around for a long time. The first is the friend that indulges, enables, and agrees with every whim you have. Yeah, you want to quit that job? Yeah, you should quit that job immediately. Tell them to go fuck themselves. And in fact, you should take a shit in that cubicle and then smear it all over the computer and you should tell them to fuck themselves and you should... That's right, that's what you should do. The inner... the I mean, the, the yes person. Uh, this is why... why like movie actors can make so many stupid decisions because they surround themselves, they gather with a, what do they call it? A, a cadre? A, what Entourage. Entourage. Entourage of yes people, which is the worst thing that you can have around you. Uh, and the other worst is having people that when you make a mistake, continue the shame agenda. Yeah, well, I told you. <laughs> I knew that, that that relationship wasn't going to work out. I knew you weren't going to really be happy at that job. I knew... I don't know what you were thinking. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the way life is. It's kind of shitty and, you know... You shouldn't have gotten your hopes up. <laughs> so... These kind of uh, these are not really what we need to be turning to. What we need to be turning to is people who are going to say, you know, again, you deserve to be happy. You're not happy now. If you want to change, if you want to give up this job, this relationship, this situation, I'll be there for you because I care about you. But no matter what, I'll still be supportive. People who will gently create the conditions, letting you know that you can go to them with. And sometimes we have to, we have to guide our friends to be able to do that. Because a lot of people, when we're struggling, they just want to fix and solve and give directions. You should do this. And that really doesn't help. We need to find people that will gently just support and help motivate us when we are scared but we realize we need to take a necessary step. So I hope that there was something worthwhile there tonight. <laughs>